Back out of here on the fan. We'll get to the Cavs as soon as that game wraps up. Now it's time to get to the fan focus. All right, leading us off, it's going to be Nick on the Ken Dorsey press conference. Here we go. That brings us to what I think was just peak silliness, and that was Kevin Stefanski in his two-minute terse, tense, uh, got to say the right thing, Opening monologue before he introduced uh, Ken Dorsey talking about play calling and building the offense. Play calling, which I know everybody wants to talk about, we'll get there. It's February 5th. What's most important, what I'm looking forward to the most, is putting this offense back together with Ken, really leading the charge, and, and that's why he's here. I love Kevin Stefanski dropping February 5th as if that's just, too, come on, guys, it's too early to talk about who's going to call the plays. It's February 5th. Everybody knows that's a February 9th topic. Everybody knows that that is a February 25th topic. And I, listen, I'm going to leave room open for the fact that there's a there's going to be a moment where Ken after or Kevin after all the, the 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 hires have been announced that we hear specifically from Kevin. That's at least the way the Browns have set it up. Can we just admit it does not take eight months to find out who's going to be calling plays? Can we just all agree that we're the Browns are probably pretty sure at this moment? Who's going to call plays? And the only reason why you don't is some goofy, weird, unnecessary paranoia about the questions it might lead to to your new offensive coordinator, who sounds a hell of a lot more polished than anybody in that organization that we hear talk other than Andrew Barry. So, like, what are we doing here? I don't know. Let's try to figure out the entire first hour what exactly we're doing here. I wasn't very impressed with the idea that Ken Dorsey seemed very much like Kevin Stefanski and how he addressed the media and how he looked and how he talked and the whole everything. I just, I, I, I thought we were getting more of a guy that was going to be, hey, maybe has a, some anger management problems. I don't know. Not that I needed an anger management guy. I just thought maybe we were getting more of that guy. The rah-rah guy, the guy that flipped over an entire press con- uh, press box because he was mad about the results. I thought we were getting that type of guy. Turns out we weren't getting that type of guy. He was very calm, very cool, very collected, but ultimately more Ned Flanders than he was a badass. And I just, I have that in Stefanski. I don't need that again. It felt weird to me. After watching him today, it felt a little weird to me. Hopefully this was just him cosplaying as Stefanski to try to make the Browns brass happy. Because if this is who Ken Dorsey is, I don't know that I'm entirely thrilled. All right, next up. It's going to be Owen and Ken as Owen got stuck in an elevator this morning trying to get into work. Here we go. I was very uh, leery of getting out of that thing. It was a fear that I never knew that I had. But I do now. Did not want to get chopped in half by the elevator. Shut the doors. Luckily, it moved again. Got down to two. And this time I did open the doors and I made the greatest leap that I've ever made in my life. So it stopped at 2 and you came down the oh, steps? Oh, yes. Holy God. Was it in the spot it was supposed to be at 2? Yes, two? once okay. I came down to 2. I don't know how it's doing. There was Somebody nobody. Security. Yeah, there was nobody in the, um, there's the room down there in the garage where yeah. I'm sure they're on their rounds or whatever right now. But Oh, yeah, sure. They're on their rounds. <laughs> you know they are. Okay, yeah. <laughs> sure they are, yeah. So Usually I, someone's in by that time. It was like a five-minute thing. I had to have been minutes, yeah. had to have been five at least five minutes, and then it's terrifying. 
there was two or three minutes of me checking all my appendages to make sure they still well, were attached to my body. I, I'm not trying to be macabre. Like, there was that, that video a couple years ago, the guy who couldn't figure out whether to go in or go out. It was like a failing elevator, right. and he did not... You, you either make one choice or the other. That's it. You can't be stuck in the middle. And he, he got stuck in the middle. And it was not good. I was once in an elevator that got stuck. And so I, so I lived on the second floor of an apartment building in downtown Cleveland. And I was only going up. I had my Chipotle in my hands. I was all ready to go eat dinner. I had it for me and my wife. And I was the only person in the elevator. The elevator went up. And I was like, all right. We're going to be on the second floor. And then it dropped. And I thought in my head that it dropped like seven stories. I mean, there's not even seven stories for it to have dropped. But I thought it dropped like seven stories. I was convinced that I was at the very bottom of the basement. It, it had dropped in between the first and the second floor. But it felt like a large drop. And I was stuck in there for 40 minutes. And at around like half hour into it, I debated whether or not I was going to eat the Chipotle I decided not to because uh, we knew that the fire department was on its way and help was coming, right? And and it was it was interesting because I, I casually just called my wife and was like, hey, I'm stuck in the elevator. I don't know where I'm at. And in my mind, I thought I was in the basement. So I'm like, I think I fell. I think it dropped all the way to the basement. I'm not entirely sure. I don't know where I'm at, but I know I got stuck in the elevator and it's not opening. And so anyway, so the fire department came and then they opened up the elevator. And the way Ken is describing it, Ken was describing it like the guy that he saw on, on the video online where you, you had to like you had to make a decision like in or out basically. I had to make that same decision and it was tough because the, the, the fire department came and they said, Okay, you can come out now, but it was it was still halfway up. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't it wasn't sitting flush with the floor, it was halfway up, and so if the elevator had started right when I was coming down, I would have been crushed to pieces. And they so casually were like, no, like, you come down now. And I said, you sure I'm not going to get crushed? They're like, no, you're not going to get crushed. Come down now. So I grabbed their hand and I came down. But it was, I mean, that was wild how calm they were about it. And I, it's, I'm telling you, very, very scary moment. Not great. Uh, but I did overall, I think I took it in much greater calmness than I feel like I, I heard the guys in the morning take it. I, I, I was, for a person that can freak out, I was very calm, cool, and collected at the whole ordeal. Not great either way. All right, next up, Baskin and Phelps on the old line situation. Here we go. If you don't like James Hudson and can convince uh, convince Jed Wills to come off the bench or convince Dewan, hey, let's put it on hold. You know, or or maybe they're they're both coming back from injury. Or they all are. You know, maybe somebody's not quite ready and you don't want to pull the plug on on that trio yet, which Andy, I could see. You know, it might be one of those things where you get into training camp, you go through training camp, is everybody good to go? At the end of training camp, oh, this young guy stepped up, we think he can play tackle. At the end of camp, you have an opportunity to make a trade for a position of weakness on your team. I, I don't know that that would, is anything I would want to tackle in the off season before I saw the health of all three guys. I, I'm just not moving away from the guys that we currently have on the roster. And if they need to, then maybe Jed Wills is the guy you move away from. But, again, I like I can't stress it enough. You cannot have enough offensive linemen. Oh, that's so true. We were so lucky with Joe Thomas here. Like, I, I just and, – and what you see and now Joel is – Yeah. Really. I just don't know what they're going to do in the beginning 
How do you tell Jedrick Wills in a contract year that he's got to play back up to Dewan Jones? And Dewan Jones is good, but Dewan Jones is not a left tackle. He's a right tackle. So what do you do in that instance? I'm okay if that's what they want to do. If they want to have Dewan Jones play left tackle, Conklin play right tackle, and if somebody gets injured on the offensive line, then Jed Wills is just going to step in there. I'm more than okay with that. I thought it was a fascinating discussion, though. Because I don't think you can just keep all three guys healthy and ready to go and available. I think it'll work itself out. I think between Conklin, who's injury prone, I think Jed Wills obviously got injured last year, so it could happen. And Dewan Jones is built like a refrigerator. He's built like a slot machine. He's insane how he's built. He's going to get injured eventually. I feel like having the extra talent there is a good investment. You just don't know how you tell Jedrick Wills in a contract year that he's got to ride the pine because he wasn't good enough, and then he gets to wait his turn. I mean, I guess you just tell him, and he doesn't really have much of a say in it, but feels a little little dirty. Well, you know, he did get replaced. He got Wally pipped. There's no other way to look at it, even though Christian was playing left tackle, and Dewan Jones technically would have Wally pipped Jack Conklin, but that's not really a thing for Jack Conklin in that contract. All right, next up. Nick on his weekend. Here we go. Had a lovely weekend. I've gotten to the point where I don't know if you guys have heard this theory from me before, but I like to take a vacation day after my vacation, right? I like to if if, if you got five days of vacation, you're going somewhere with the family. I need that sixth day because vacation, when you're a parent, isn't vacation. Vacation often is more work than actually just your day to day routine because it's not just you and your significant other. It's you, your significant other, and if like you're like me, you have kids. So I'm already a firm believer in take that extra day. Give yourself a, that, that chance to rewind, whether that's a Saturday all right, or a Sunday, whether that's the first day of the week, whatever it is. I'll also say we're getting to the point of the the, the school year where the where my weekends are more work than my week. And this weekend, it was at, like, guys, I went to bed at 8 o'clock last night. I'm, I'm this close to having early bird dinners. Like, this is what this the weekends are now doing. It sounded a little sad. Uh, it sounded, and I know that's my future, too. It just it did sound a little sad, the idea that it's, like, so pumped to come to work and doesn't have the, the Sunday scaries or anything like that. But I like work, and Nick likes work, so that's why I think it's okay. I think it's fine. Like, I, I enjoy work. I There's no part of me that thinks to myself, oh, no, another work week. I just think it's another day. I like days off. Don't get that confused. I like days off, but I also like working. I don't know. It's kind of fun for me. It gives me a purpose. It gives me something to do. If I'm not working, I'm an incredibly, I'm not going to say lazy because that's not fair. It's not fair to myself. I just don't accomplish that much. When I'm working, at least I feel like I'm, I'm accomplishing something. Oh, I'm going to be a bad retired person. Luckily, my generation, probably not going to be able to retire. So I'll have my, my uh, retirement gig of Working as an usher at Progressive Field, which I think is going to be a lot of fun for me when I'm like 70, 75 years old. Radio, maybe like 60, 65 if I'm being honest about it. All right, last up here, it's Ken and Danny, whether or not they trust the Browns. Three different guys in the course of the last few months that have started to point some things in the direction where the coach isn't making these decisions. Even the general manager of the football team didn't make that decision. Is what these things are getting pointed to. That's a concerning thing. Because I think over time, it goes right with what you've done. Andrew Berry's taken some blame. He's gotten some credit. I think people, for the most part, trust Andrew Berry. Maybe I'm wrong on that, depending on who's listening. 
But I do think the majority of fans, I don't know how big of a majority it is, the majority of fans trust Andrew Barry. I think the majority of fans trust Kevin Stefanski. Do the majority of fans trust Paul DeBodesta? If he were the one who made the decision last year about Joe Woods, where I think a lot of us could go, guys, Daffy Duck could have made that decision on Joe Woods instead of Jim Schwartz. Like, you had to move on from Joe Woods. Okay, fine. If he were the one, though, who made that decision where Kevin maybe was holding on to him, maybe Kevin wasn't going to let him go. And Paul DeBodesta felt he had to step in. Okay, maybe that if you believe that, maybe that's a trust situation with him where you would trust. Because if you were the most ardent Browns fan, and just didn't want to hear bad news, you'd say they made these decisions, they were 11-6. and six. They're making these decisions, they're going to be even better next year. It confirms a couple of things, or at least confirms one thing, that their level of trust, while we can say we trust or distrust the Browns, their level of trust in Deshaun Watson and what he can do, what they signed him to do, is shaken. All right, good stuff right there from Ken in the morning. We come on back. Cavs absolutely walloped up on the Kings. We'll talk about it. We'll get your guys' impressions on it. Are you buying into the Cavs? Dare I say, are you starting to flip the switch? Lima might have to call from the hospital. I'm not sure because uh, this is the type of game that has you really convinced that the Cavs are on to something. 56% from three-point land. You're going to beat the Kings by 25. It's a good Sacramento team. You are absolutely dog-walking them. And you'll love to see it. We'll talk about your wine and gold when we come on back. J.B. Bickerstaff and everyone else later on this hour. It's overtime with Jonathan Peterlin here with you on The Fan.